to this episode of the Bulletproof Development Podcast. I'm Paul Abercrombie, and in this episode, we're going to be looking at different types of deal structures you can use to secure your property development sites and potentially unlock more deals than you are unlocking at the moment. Before we start, uh, I'm going to direct you to our website, www.bulletproof-development.com, where you can find out all information about Bulletproof Development, the courses that we offer, the education programs that we offer, and most importantly, find out information about our upcoming Property Development Masterclass, which takes place on the 19th to the 21st of March at the wonderful Highlands House in Essex, UK. So if you are just starting out as a HMO uh, landlord, if you're a... um, a portfolio landlord and you want to make that step into development, you want to make that step into potentially carrying out a refurbishment project, then this certainly is a masterclass for you where you can learn how the professionals do it and how I have helped develop over £350 million worth in property GDV over the last 10 years. So different types of deal structure. What are the different types of deal structures? Well, let's look at the different types that you can use to secure your development site. See, most of you are probably aware of the traditional way of purchasing a property whereby you, you know, you make a straightforward uh, you bid for the property with a straightforward purchase price, the agent or the vendor agrees and you buy the property some months later once you exchange and complete. There are two other ways that I've used to secure property developments that potentially don't work as a traditional purchase. See, there may be too much risk with a traditional purchase. You might be buying a piece of land that doesn't have planning consent and therefore you don't necessarily want to take the full risk on your own. There may be instances where the landowner is asking for too much for their land and this happens all of the time. Most agents that put land on the market do not understand the practicalities of valuing land as a developer. And therefore, you'll find that your ideal land price, your true land price is different to the asking price. And sometimes they can be quite far apart. So I'm going to give you two different examples of ways to purchase a development site that can help you potentially unlock those deals where you can't agree a purchase price. Potentially, you you know, you don't want to take the risk on your own and buy the site without planning consent and instances where the landowner's asking for too much money and, you, you know, you can't agree. So number one on this list is deals that are subject to planning. So what this effectively is, is where you agree to purchase the site for a price, you exchange contracts before you have planning consent, and you agree that the completion date is after you receive planning consent or at a point in time in the future. Now, you will have a long stop date where effectively, if you don't perform and get planning consent within that period of time, you could be either number one penalised or you would, you know, revoke the deal and give the deal back to the uh, vendor. But the idea is that that long stop date will be enough of a time for you to take the site, promote the site, get some planning consent and then complete on the purchase once you receive planning consent. Now, if you're planning to use a uh, subject to planning method to purchase a site, you will need to speak to your solicitor because there are some technicalities to work out. Now, one bad experience I've had in the past when it comes to buying a site subject to planning is where the long stop date was too soon after the planning consent was consented. So effectively what happened is we went out there, we got a planning consent, uh, we had a stop date that was a couple of weeks after planning consent was due and we had to complete. Now, in that process of getting ready to complete, somebody went 
and appealed the planning consent via a judicial review, which then ended up adding another year to the project. We were committed and we had to complete on the project, but we couldn't do anything or build and we was at risk for a full 12 months after that completion point. So I'm not saying you would want to leave an additional 12 months after the planning consent has been consented, but you speak to your solicitor about how to protect yourself from the potential effect of a judicial review or somebody appealing the planning process or some really, you know, heavy conditions being applied to the planning consent that means, you know, the deal is just simply not viable. So you would want some checks and balances in the contract that allow you to get out should any of those things come up or, you know, a, a situation where you would be able to protect yourself. But a good solicitor with experience of putting together a subject to planning contract will be able to advise you on those. Just be aware that you, you want to protect yourself even at the end once you have planning consent. Now, the second way of doing things is a joint venture or a JV with the landowner. Now, this can work in instances where you can't quite agree a price with the landowner, where the agent wants quite a lot of money for the land and you're not prepared to pay that, but the land's potentially been sitting there for a long period of time and it's not moving because nobody wants to pay that price. So you can gear yourself up around the joint venture with the landowner. And there are various options to make a joint venture work. But one of the most common ones is where the landowner places the land into the deal as their contribution. And effectively, they become a partner with you. You use your team, your power team to go ahead and develop develop and promote the site. You achieve the end result, which could be, you know, building out the site or getting planning consent. And then at the point that when you sell the development, you have a profit share with the landowner and everybody recovers their money back plus a profit. Now, I've used that before and it works really well if you can find a landowner that's realistic to what the situation and, uh, you know, is is happy to move forward with you. You'd be surprised how much this can work. Uh, you know, if, if a landowner has had a piece of land that's sat on the market for a long period of time, you know, is being unrealistic about the purchase price by offering a joint venture, it gives them an option to move forward and it gives them an end point that, that's, that's, you know, realistic for them. So there are many landowners out there that will say yes to a joint venture. And there are a number of options that you can use to structure a JV with a landowner so that everybody is protected. And again, if you're going to go down a JV route with a landowner, then potentially speak to your solicitor about ways in which you can structure the contract to, to protect all parties. So that is two quick ways in which you can use to unlock those sites that do not potentially work as a straightforward traditional purchase. Uh, number one, being a subject to planning deal. Number two, being a joint venture with the landowner. And both of these have worked for me in the past and can work for you. Sometimes you need to take a look at your development pipeline and really, you know, just look at how you can think outside the box to make the deal work for everybody and unlock, you know, a... a um, a potential site that wouldn't fit a traditional purchase model. Now, if you are going to use either one of these options, I would say to you, be fully transparent with your figures when speaking to any vendor or solicitor or, you know, a state agent. And honesty is the best policy. See, there are developers out there that are afraid to share their figures with any joint venture partner or any agent on the thought that the, you know, the agent or the the landowner may take their figures and use them for their own benefit. Well, that could happen, but 
in my experience, it doesn't. And if you provide lots of information to a vendor, to a solicitor, to a, an estate agent, if you share your figures, if you're fully transparent, you can build the relationship from an early stage and most likely your joint venture will be a success. If you cloud the figures, if you hide them, if you keep, you know, revert back inside yourself and don't share all of the information, you don't usually get a good start in the relationship. So don't be one of those guys that keeps the figures to yourself that's scared to share the spreadsheet with a joint venture partner or the landowner at the fear that they might take your figures and use them against you. Yes, they could do that. But in my experience, it hasn't happened. And the more information you share when trying to purchase a site or get somebody to commit to a joint venture or a subject to planning deal, the better and the more successful you will probably be. So I hope that has been helpful. Uh, If you need any guidance on this, then Uh, drop a comment somewhere on this page where you're listening to this podcast. Equally, you can look at our website, www.bulletproof-development.com forward slash podcast, where you can get in touch and suggest any future topics that you may like us to discuss on this podcast. We've got a very special guest coming over the next couple of weeks in one of the podcasts, uh, which I'm really excited about. And you will see that a feature length podcast, a lot longer than these bite-sized ones where we dig into all things construction management and property development software, which I'm really looking forward to. And I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. My name is Paul Abercrombie. This is Bulletproof Development and you've been listening to the Property Development Podcast. Podcast.